Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can give them a call. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and Stay Up to Date by Reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a great show lined up for you today, including special guest Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. He'll be joining us. Seton Modley, the founder and president of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is May the 26th, and on this day in 1927, Henry Ford and his son Edsel uh, drove the 15th millionth Model T Ford out of their factory, making the famous automobile's official last day of production. More than any other vehicle, the relatively affordable and efficient Model T was responsible for accelerating the automobile's introduction into American society during the first quarter of the 20th century. It introduced in October of 1908, the Model T, also known as the Tin Lizzie, weighed about 1,200 pounds with a 20-horsepower, four-cylinder engine. It got about 13 to 21 miles per gallon of gasoline and could travel up to 45 miles per hour, initially selling for around 850 bucks. The Model T would later sell for as little as $260 for the basic no-extras model. Largely due to the Model T's incredible popularity, the U.S. government made construction of new roads one of its top priorities by 1920. By 1926, however, the Lizzie had become outdated in a rapidly expanding market for cheaper cars. While Henry Ford had hoped to keep the up production of the Model T while retooling his factories for its replacement, the Model A, the lack of demand forced his hand on May the 25th, 1927, he made headlines around the world when the, with the announcement that he was discontinuing the Model T Ford. Ford, the uh, legendary car maker, delivered a eulogy for the most memorable creation. It had stamina and power. It was the car that ran before they were r- good roads to run on. It broke down the barriers of distance in rural sections, brought people to those sections closer together, and made education within reach of everyone. After production officially ended by the following day, Ford's factory shut down in early June and some 60,000 workers were laid off. The company sold fewer than 500,000 cars in 1927, less than half of Chevrolet's sales. The Model A's release, beginning in the select cities that uh, December, was greeted by throngs of thousands, a tribute to Ford's characteristic ability to make a splash. No car in history, however, had the impact, both actual and mythological, of the Model T Ford. Such a great story about history and the beginning of industry in the United States. Well, <clears throat> I'm getting my hip replaced in the beginning of June. I've had occasion to visit several healthcare outlets in preparation for surgery. Mask requirements and what I consider to be other frivolous health safety requirements abound. Data from industry analysts show that we have still not reached 2019 volumes in hospital inpatient admission or emergency visits in even a single month since the pandemic started. And uh, rather than return to normal, volumes are even lower in 2022 than the record lows set in 2021. There's a theme for 2022. It's that inpatient volumes are down. The healthcare system needs to return to normalcy. Some feeding the media fear hype headlines about being overwhelmed. Well, of course, they never were. 
ditch the mass and welcome patients back without undue fear and anxiety before the backlog of untreated conditions gets even worse. Delayed diagnosis and treatment could kill tens of thousands of more Americans in the next few years. We need to get rid of uh, voodoo health care, in my opinion. And uh, let's trust our immune systems a little bit. You know, that's, uh, they're protecting us from all kinds of things. They can protect us from uh, these things that we fear, these pandemics as well. Former President Barack Obama used the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, to memorialize the death of George Floyd, even though the two tragedies have almost no relation. Indeed, Wednesday, 25th, May 25th, marked the two-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder at the hands of police officers. But instead of just commemorating the day on its own, the former president tied the terrific massacre in Texas, which left 19 children and two teachers dead, to Floyd's memory. As we grieve the children of Uvalde today, we should take time to recognize the two years have passed since the murder of George Floyd under the knee of a police officer, the former president tweeted. His killing stays with us all to this day, especially those who loved him. In the aftermath of his murder, a new generation of activists rose up to channel their anguish into organized action, launching a movement to raise awareness of systemic racism and the need for criminal justice and police reform, he added. And while few except maybe the pro-Chauvin hardliners would begrudge any for commemorating George Floyd on the anniversary of his death, the former president's decision to tie it to a current and raw national tragedy sparked uh, initial and uh, significant backlash. In line with most mainstream Democrats, the former president used Tuesday's horrific massacre to push gun control. Michelle and I grieve with the families of Uvalde who are experiencing pain no one should have to bear, the former president added. We are also angry for them. Nearly 10 years after Sandy Hook and 10 days after Buffalo, our country is paralyzed, not by fear, but by a gun lobby and a political party that has shown no willingness to act in any way that might have prevented these tragedies. It's long past time for action and any kind of action, and it's another tragedy, a quieter but less tragic one for families who wait another day said the former president. He offered us so much hope when he was elected, didn't we? He was going to be all of our presidents. It turns out he's just reduced himself to a race baiter, in my opinion. Well, during uh, Wednesday's press conference, Governor Greg Abbott, uh, that's, the, uh, of course, Governor Texas, indicated that uh, alleged Uvalde attacker Salvador Ramos made three Facebook posts 30 minutes before opening fire on Robb Elementary School. During the press conference, Adam added, the first thing that happened was the gunman shot his grandmother in the face. She was contact, uh, contacted, then contacted the police. The New York Post pointed to a, a newsy report that indicating Ramos allegedly got into an argument with Grant, his grandmother and then shot her and went to school, to the school. Uvalde resident uh, Eduardo Trinidad told Newsy he's got into an argument with his grandmother and she was screaming, he shot me, he shot me. It's just unbelievable that apparently he posted three times on Facebook 30 minutes before this atrocity. My wife has been on, uh, thrown off of Facebook uh, three different times. Usually it takes just a matter of minutes. Seems to me that the, the censoring Facebook could, uh, could have notified authorities about this kind of a uh, tweet. Certainly they're covering it. They could have, uh, could have made it a warning to uh, authorities in Uvalde and the FBI. So the story is also that this unemployed 18-year-old living with his grandmother had two brand-new Daniel Defense AR-15 rifles, 
worth almost $5,000, plus ammo, plus optics. Add to that a $70,000 uh, Ford 250 pickup and body armor. Just wonder how he ever got that the equipment. Did he get some help? I know these rifles are hard to come by and a favorite of the feds. Something really stinks here. It just doesn't add up. I think it's another thing that should be investigated about how this uh, person who was barely employed, I think he was working at a fast food place, uh, happened to end up with uh, body armor, two AR-15s, optics, ammo, just doesn't add up. And in addition, Texas gubernatorial hopeful Beto O'Rourke took to the opportunity to inject himself during Governor Abbott's Wednesday press conference covering the Arab Elementary School mass shooting in Evaldi. Beto appears to uh, wait until after the governor's remarks are complete before he stands in front of the stage to interrupt Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's presentation. Patrick attempts to uh, shut down the Democrat Party candidate for governor, saying, excuse me, you're out of line and an embarrassment, said Patrick. O'Rourke continued to talk over the lieutenant governor to address Governor Abbott. You're doing nothing, the failed presidential and senatorial candidate said. Uvalde Mayor Don McLaughlin was most vocal in trying to shout down the interruption. Texas Cruz, uh, tenor Senator Texas uh, Ted Cruz can also be heard uh, trying to hush Beto. He needs to get his ass out of here, Uvalde Mayor said regarding the disruptive candidate. You, sir, are out of line. Sir, you're out of line. Please leave the auditorium, said the mayor for him. I can't believe you're a sick SOB, the mayor continued. That would come to an event like this to make a political issue. Law enforcement officers surrounded O'Rourke and attempted to move him out of the arena. O'Rourke stopped again and attempted to address the governor. Police finally escorted O'Rourke from the room where he carried out an impromptu press conference. The twice-failed candidate received Democrat Party of Texas nomination to face off against Governor Abbott in 2022 election in November. He has a long history of contradicting his positions on the Second Amendment and gun control. Uh, first, he says, I'm going to take your guns. Then, uh, well, we're going to buy your guns from you. And uh, he changes the position based on how the wind's blowing. After dropping out of his failed presidential campaign to work, set his sights on the governor's mansion in Austin and doubled down on his threat to take away certain guns and bash the state of Texas for passing constitutional carry. Fast forward to 2022 election cycle when O'Rourke is slated to face off against the two-term governor. The never-ending policy shift of O'Rourke's thoughts on gun control took another turn when the candidate addressed a group of supporters in conservative East Texas and said he's not interested in taking anything from anyone. Oh, my goodness, what a slippery chameleon. O'Rourke shifted from taking your guns to buying back those types of guns. Beto O'Rourke. Interrupting, uh, and quite frankly, the press conference I thought was quite well done and unpolitical. It wasn't political at all. Uh, Beto O'Rourke decided to take the opportunity to turn it into a political event. And by the way, Senator Ted Cruz stated on Jesse Waters' show that Democrats blocked legislation he proposed in 2013 to bolster school security and keep firearms out of the hands of criminals and the mentally ill by keeping it from reach, reaching the 60-vote threshold. Cruz said, in 2013, I introduced legislation that would spend $300 million on federal grants to harden schools to make them safer, to make them more protected. The Democrat filibustered that legislation. 
I've introduced legislation to say schools like this elementary school behind me can get federal grants to harden their security to put out in bulletproof doors, bulletproof glass, to put in armed uh, police officers to protect kids. He later added, in 2013, I introduced legislation called Grassley Cruz, which targeted felons and fugitives and those whose serious mental illness had directed the Department of Justice to do an audit of federal convictions to make sure felons are in the database. It directed the Department of Justice to prosecute and put in jail felons and fugitives who tried to illegally buy firearms. That vote in the the Harry Reid Democrat Senate, a majority of the Senate voted in favor of the Grassley-Cruz bill, but the Democrats filibustered it. They demanded 60 votes. They defeated it because they wanted to go after law-abiding citizens instead of stopping the bad guys. We need to stop the bad guys, said Cruz. Nothing could be more true. So things were in place. I mean, certainly the Republicans have made an effort to solve this problem, not by confiscating guns, but by dealing with the root causes of these issues. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. So proud, actually, to have the Collier Senior Center as an advertiser here on the show. Uh, they do just great work. And if you know an isolated senior uh, who, you know, we tend as we age to lose our friends and our connections, which is uh, bad for us, uh, you know, introduce them to the Collier Senior Center. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at uh, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley. Right now, we have some more news. Last month, with a little state or national attention, Pennsylvania's outgoing Democrat Governor Tom Wolf signed an executive order which enters Pennsylvania into a disastrous regional greenhouse gas initiative. This is a pact between 11 northeastern states to lower greenhouse gas emissions by taxing energy production. But Pennsylvania, home base for the bountiful Marsless Shale, is the third largest producer of power in America thanks to its stockpile of coal and natural gas. Now, that's Pennsylvania. This initiative figuratively slits the wrists of the state's economy. As the Energy and Environment Newsletter put it, Pennsylvania's joint, uh, joining the RGGI represents a massive expansion of carbon pricing in America, capping power plant emissions in one of the country's leading electricity-generating states. Worse, almost all the states have been joined uh, RGGI are in the bluest of blue states, most of all with crumbling economies including New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. Does Pennsylvania really aspire to be more like New York, the state that has lost more than a million residents over the past decade? The uh, executive order is almost certainly unconstitutional because state law requires taxes to be levied by the legislature, not by the fiat order of the governor. The initiative will clearly make power bills more expensive and reduce output and jobs from the Marcellus area. Virginia was a member of uh, RGGI, but took, uh, new GOP Governor Glenn Youngkin wisely pulled out the state out of the uh, agreement. We hope Pennsylvania's new gov- uh, gubernatorial candidate, Doug Mastriano, and the Republicans in the legislature make, make uh, pulling PA out of the RGGI a major issue in the November elections. The Democratic nominee for governor, Joe Josh Sapiro, has waffled on the issue. It's really simple. Pennsylvania should aspire to be more like Florida and less like New Jersey. So true, and so proud to be a Floridian, and uh, so grateful to be a Floridian right now. Do you remember the cable TV Republicans who endorsed Joe Biden in 2020 and sometimes defended him even to this day? Back then, they were lauded as heroes by the establishment. Now it's clear these Biden-supporting Republicans were utterly, embarrassingly, dangerously wrong about the man who they were touting for president. As we all now paying an enormous and rapidly increasing price for their arrogant stupidity, here are some of the worst malefactors and just how they justified their choice. John Kasich, I loved uh, Tucker Carlson's description of John Kasich. He reminds him of the drunk at the end of the bar. <laughs> so John Kasich said, I'm sure there are Republicans and independents who uh, couldn't imagine crossing over to support a Democrat. They fear Joe might be sharp left and leave them behind. I don't believe that because I know the measure of the man, he said. Christy Todd Whitman, we need someone who can restore competence to the Oval Office and unify the country. Joe Biden is that leader, said Christy Todd Whitman. And Meg Whitman from California Joe Biden is a plan that will strengthen our economy for working people and small business owners. For me, the choice is simple. I'm with Joe. <laughs> go, Joe. Go, Brandon. 
Uh, former Senator Jeff Flake, boy, what a cop, what a name. We need to elect someone who will stop the chaos and reverse the damage, said uh, Senator Jeff Flake. In some ways, they share the responsibility for the damage Biden has done to our country. So far, nobody's apologized for taking those positions. Quite frankly, uh, I'm, I'm ready to have somebody come back who wants to make America great again. Uh, I, that would be President Donald Trump, in my opinion. But I realize some people differ because they don't like the tweets. They don't like, uh, <laughs> they don't like Donald Trump. But uh, what he did for America, I thought was great. We should make America great again. When uh, Eric Adams won election as a New York mayor last November and uh, replaced leftist Bill de Blasio, who, by the way, is running for the House of Representatives. I wonder if he'll get any votes. I don't think so. Many political observers speculated Americans might be inching right. So far, Adams has been a pretty major disappointment. However, the next hope for a reformer comes from L.A. Its primary next uh, month features so many mayoral candidates that it's almost certain to get two vote-getters to go to the November runoff. That's how California does it. They uh, have to take the two top vote-getters, and they run against each other, irrespective of party affiliation. One of the most likely to be the runoff is Rick Caruso, who's a billionaire property developer who was a Republican until 2012, sits on the board of the Reagan Foundation and not only opposes defund the police, but urges the public to show our support for them in respect and gratitude. The most recent Berkeley IGS poll has Caruso at 24%, Democrat Representative Karen Bass at 23%, other candidates in single digits and a whopping 39% undecided at this point. The same poll found that 61% of city residents named homelessness as one of the top two issues and 38% named crime. On Crime, Caruso points out that L.A. is the most underpoliced big city in America. He promises a no-nonsense approach. We'll all see our neighbors' home burglarized, or we've seen our cars broken into or worse yet stolen. We need to make sure that there are consequences and fear, repercussions for those who break the law. What a concept. Caruso also supports a recall of District Attorney George Gascon, who has declined to prosecute an astonishing, get this, 13,238 cases under his new soft-on-crime guidelines. No wonder, but there's smash and grab going on all over L.A. Could Caruso do for L.A. what Rudy Giuliani did for New York City? We can also, we can only hope so. I hope that that goes through. New York needs a, a respite from bad leadership. Well, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Policy Studies. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples' only vitality and longevity practice where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. 
don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain, improve your quality of life, see for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can download the app and find out more by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, we have with us Michael Cannon. Michael is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Michael. Michael, are you there? Hello, Michael. Well, I don't think he can hear me right now. So, uh, uh, yes, yeah, something cut out, but you're back. Oh, okay. Well, great. Glad to have you on the show, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Well, the Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We push for individual liberty in all areas of human endeavor, which means we want limited government that leaves you free to live your life however you want, no matter who you are and who you want to be, so long as you respect the equal rights of others. Great organization. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Michael, you wrote a paper just released this week, End Tax Exclusion for Employer-Sponsored Health Insurance. Now, that had me scratching my head. The byline, though, is return $1 trillion to workers who earned it so interesting. Maybe you can tell us about it. So it's this weird quirk of American healthcare that most people get their health insurance from an employer. We don't get our car insurance from an employer. We don't let our employer buy our houses for us. But when it comes to this really big financial responsibility, uh, health insurance, uh, we let employers buy our insurance for us. And the reason for that is a a sort of an accident of history. When Congress imposed an income tax back in 1913, they didn't know, they didn't say anything about whether they were going to tax health insurance that your employer gives you. They didn't really, you didn't really have health insurance back then. And when the issue came before the Treasury Department bureaucrats who had to implement the law, they were confused. It was, it's actually a pretty thorny question. They just threw their hands up in the air and said, all right, we're not going to subject that to the income tax. Hmm. What that did was it created a situation where 
if you want to take money as from your employer as cash to go buy your own health insurance, you have to pay taxes on it. But if you want to let your employer control that money and choose your health insurance for you, and by the way, choose lousy health insurance, because let's face it, if your health insurance disappears when your job disappears, that's lousy health insurance. Right. But if you wanted to do that, then you would not pay taxes on it. And so uh, right now, the average tax penalty that you have to pay if you want to control that money yourself is about 33 cents on the dollar. So if that's $15,000 that we're talking about, you can either take uh, t 10 of that as cash be after tax, after you pay a third of it to the, to the federal government, or you can get $15,000 uh, in health benefits from your employer. That's why most people get health benefits from their employer. And it also means that employers get to control $1 trillion of their workers' earnings, hmm. which is about a quarter of what we spend on healthcare in here in the most expensive healthcare sector in the world. That's a, those are amazing statistics. Let me visit them. Uh, one th I just want to point out also that this was all made uh, this issue on steroids during the FDR administration when uh, payroll was uh, frozen. Uh, he said, you know, you can't increase payroll uh, during the Great Depression in order to make uh, uh, employment attractive. <laughs> Companies started to create fringe benefits. And, uh, of course, uh, this this is one of the most important areas. You commented, I think I caught a comment about the choices that employers are making about health insurance. Can you comment at all about the quality of uh, the choices that uh, employers are making about health care insurance? Right. So if you're an employer, you got to pick a health plan, maybe two, maybe three, for your employees uh, to choose from. And even if you only have a small firm, but definitely if you have a large firm, you're going to have a wide range of preferences when it comes to health insurance. And you're not going to be able to satisfy everybody, uh, especially small employers who really struggle to offer more than one health plan option. You're just going to be picking one for all your employees, and it's, it's one size does not fit all. I mean, imagine your employer picking their house for you. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to end up uh, putting a lot of their employees in houses. It just doesn't work for them. Well, the same is true for health insurance. And so if we took that trillion dollars, gave it to workers and let them choose their own health plan, the gains just in terms of matching people to the coverage that, that suits their preferences would be tremendous. Even if there were some higher administrative costs that comes from individuals picking their own plans instead of employers picking them, the benefits of matching people to the coverage that they that they want would swamp those costs. Well, quite frankly, I think that it also would accelerate uh, competition in the marketplace. In other words, uh, health insurance providers would want to compete with one another, have the best plan, lowers cost. I know for one in our family, we'd prefer a um, ca catastrophic plan. In other words, plans that cover perhaps over a high deductible and have a health uh, in, uh, savings account in, instead of having a, a plan that provides for everything, including abortion and you name it. That's right. There would be a lot more competition. The fact that the tax code herds us all into employer-sponsored plans really restricts competition. Uh, it, it creates a situation where 
in a lot of states, just one or two insurance companies dominate the entire market. In 2009, in Florida, for example, just two insurers controlled 92% of Florida's individual health insurance. Wow. Because what one reason is that the government shunts everyone, almost everyone, into employer-sponsored insurance. So the individual market is uh, doesn't see the kind of competition that it would see if individuals were making their own choices. I don't think most people understand uh, the issues that you're talking about, and most people would not want to lose the exclusion of uh, from uh, income tax for for their benefits. How do you, what are the options for reforming this? So every president since at least Ronald Reagan has tried to reform this feature of the tax code because it. It has done tremendous damage. It has ruined lives uh, in addition to driving up the cost of medical care and health insurance and, and making health insurance less secure. But they keep hitting a brick wall because if you – to get rid of this tax preference, you, you have to increase taxes on some people. Mm -hmm. And those people always complain and say, no, we're not going to let that happen. But there is a way to reform this, what we call the tax exclusion for employer-sponsored health insurance, that raises taxes on just about no one. And for most people, would deliver a huge tax, effective tax cut. And the way to do that is to expand tax-free health savings accounts, which are savings accounts that you can put money into your health expenses that gets the same tax treatment as employer-sponsored insurance. If you expand those accounts, then workers could put that $1 trillion of their earnings that employers currently control, put them into a, a large health savings account, tax-free, so the exclusion remains. They're not uh, getting taxed on that money. But then they can choose their health insurance themselves without facing a penalty for wanting to make that choice for themselves. And plus, they'd have more choices to spend their money from their health savings accounts, including things, for example, like dental work or uh, optical or whatever it might be, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And you're not tied to whatever your employer offers you. And in the same way, then you're not tied to a job. Lots of people remain in bad employment situations and bad marriages, for that matter, yep. because they fear losing their health insurance. You shouldn't have to lose your health insurance when you change your jobs and expanding health savings accounts and reforming the exclusion that way would free a lot of people to follow their passion, uh, be it uh, uh, professionally or personally. You know, Michael, you sold me. The question is, for example, if you had a, a, a policy that provided coverage for all kinds of things, well, the, the, like a, a Obamacare deductible, instead had a catastrophic care program that, for example, covered everything after $10,000, let's say. Can you give us an idea of the magnitude of savings on the premium? Yeah, so when everyone is spending what seems like their employer's money or an insurance company's money or the government's money, they're not very careful shoppers right. because I don't see the savings from being a cost-conscious shopper. But when consumers do – and so prices rise because – Hospitals and other healthcare providers know they can jack up the prices, uh, and the consumers will complain if insurance companies try to say no. However, insurers have done experiments where they make the consumer cost conscious, so the consumer does see the savings. And when you do that, prices plummet. Yeah. Consumers 
by being savvy negotiators and changing the behavior, uh, abandoning high-cost uh, hospitals, going to lower-cost hospitals, they have forced providers to reduce their prices by up to 30% wow. over a two-year period for uh, complicated procedures like hip and knee replacements and uh, knee and shoulder arthroscopy, uh, lab tests, MRIs, CT scans. Falling prices are the most important thing we can do to bring health care within the reach of uh, people who are struggling to afford it today. That's so impressive, Michael. So is there an appetite for this? I mean, uh, what is it going to take to get this through Congress? So right now, the political tea leaves seem to be favoring the Republicans uh, in uh, this year's midterm election. They're going to need an agenda. They're going to need, they may not be able to get it past President Biden, but they're going to need to run on something. And if you reform the tax exclusion with health savings accounts and transfer that one tr- or return that $1 trillion to the workers who owned it, who earned it, that would be the largest effective tax cut that any living American has ever seen. It would be a larger effective tax cut than the Reagan tax cuts of 1981. It would transfer, not transfer, because remember, these workers earned that money. It would return to workers 4% of GDP. Wow. That is, a, that is a bigger chunk of GDP than the Reagan tax cuts returned to workers. And I think that's something that I, Republicans and even Democrats should be able to run on, uh, a, a, a huge tax cut to expand a, a, by, the bipartisan success of health savings accounts. Michael, so impressive. Let's pick this up next week when we talk again. Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, encourage you to visit the very robust website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Anytime, Bob. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. So, such, that is so interesting. All right, coming up, Seton Motley. He's the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College 
classical academies and other schools of excellence serving kindergartens through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.optimaed.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and you can get tickets now by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and we just spent $40 billion on Ukraine's border. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a big task, and you know our our appetite for spending doesn't seem to be reduced at all. You you wrote such an interesting story about uh, the Democrats again proving price caps are stupid. It's a pretty interesting story, and uh, again at the very time where uh, we we can see prices are going up everywhere, and the whole notion of having the you know going back to for example the the uh, gas program that we had in place with Jimmy Carter makes. No sense at all, but that, that's exactly what the Democrats have in mind. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote a great quote from Harry Tr uh, Truman in a piece yesterday, which is, there is no history except, for, uh, there is no, nothing new on, on the planet except the history we don't know. Mm -hmm. and, and the worst part is they know and they do it anyway. Um, one of the problems with, with the raising inflation is, of course, the raising of interest rates. And... When you raise prices and then you cap prices, you're squeezing everyone out of the economy. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to lending with, with interest rates, and of course, who are the first people squeezed out of the loans? The least attractive borrowers to the banks. And that's the poorest people. Right. The worst, you know, they, they have the lowest incomes, they have the worst credit scores. And they're the one, first one squeezed out. Well, there was an article in a, in a weird little banking magazine. I think it's called American Banker. Um, I should know that because I, I had to sign up for emails to receive to read the article, and I've been getting 15 a day since. <laughs> um, but um, it's American Banker, and, and they were talking to a couple of, of lenders, and they said, look, we... we we operate with a 36% maximum interest rate, which, as we discussed before, Bob, that the, the, the payday loans for the poor people are very high interest rate, but they're also supposed to be very low, low very short term. Mm -hmm. you, you, you borrow on a Tuesday, you pay back on a Friday. Uh, so to, to make some money on these things, they charge a very high interest rate, and it's prorated down to that short period of time. Well, the government's trying to cap the, the payday rates, payday lender rates, at 36%. Well, we've seen this before, Bob. The uh, 
Remember in Seattle? Oh, we're going to pay $15 an hour. These private companies got together and said, we're going to pay 15 We don't need the government to, to mandate we pay $15 an hour minimum wage. We're going to pay $15 an hour minimum wage. Right. And then hundreds of businesses, hundreds of small businesses shut down, fired employees because they couldn't afford to do it. Yeah. Well, it's the same at the top end of the scale, too. If the government is creating artificial floors or caps, it's, it squeezes the people out of the economy. And these companies said, hey, we don't need this law. We'll cap it at 36%. And now that they said, well, the interest rates are going up, which means we're not going to be able to lend money to these people. I mean, it's, it's, it's a quintessential example of exactly what I've been saying for months now is you can't you can't cap it because you're squeezing people out and these, these private lending institutions said yeah with interest rates going up and our, and our artificial 36 cap these people just aren't going to get loans at all uh, just it demonstrates how out of touch the legislators may t- in many cases are i mean it, when you're talking about uh, let's say say the interest rate is even 50 percent if you're loaning it for four days i mean if somebody's in a desperate situation i need new tires for my car and I don't get paid until Friday. I need something today to get it taken care of. Payday loan is a perfect solution. And they may end up paying fifteen dollars for a uh, two hundred and fifty-four. Yeah, yeah, for the loan for, yeah, for four days, right? And it looks if you write down, it's like anything else. You can write down, you can write it in a way that makes it look awful. Thirty-eight percent interest, right? But then you go, okay, they borrowed it for four days, and it comes out to like you said, fifteen dollars, twenty dollars, whatever it is, and and that's, you know, what is it, the figures lie and liars figure? Um, yeah, that, you, you can make it look awful. But again, and I, and I, I said this to you, oh, and by, by the way, eight, I think 8 million people uh, use payday loans in 2021. Wow. So, so I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tool that a lot of people use. And you're going to take it away from most of them with a, with a cap. Um, as I as I told you before, I, my credit score rating went up because I, when I sold my house in Florida, I paid off my mortgages. Right. Right. So that helped my credit score. I'm now over 800 on a credit score. My income's pretty good, and my credit my credit card used to be 24. percent Yeah. So so it's not like they're all charging you know mortgage rate interest rates these credit card companies. These lending institutions, they're all saints except for these poor people, and they're screwing the poor people. Now they're screwing the rest of us, too. You know, and, uh, Jason Riley wrote a book called Please Stop Helping Us. It was about the uh, the welfare programs for black people. Jason Riley's like uh, editor of the uh, uh, New York Wall Times. Journal. Wall Street Journal. Thank you, yes. The Wall Street Journal. So he basically made the case that hey, your, your help is not helpful. This is the same situation. Many of these people, I'm sure, are saying we want to protect poor people with capping interest rates. The fact of the matter is they're just making the money unavailable and hurting a very important area or very important uh, resource that they have to for short-term uh, financial concerns. Bill Gates and Elon Musk were not two of the eight million people who got payday <laughs> loans last year. Yeah. Seat <laughs> Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit the very robust websites, uh, lessgovernment.org, lessgovernment.org. You can also visit uh, Less Government on Facebook. Seaton, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Thank you, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Bill Barnett. He's the former mayor of Naples. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the very robust website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob, always, always a pleasure to uh, hear that cheery voice of you uh, at this early hour in the morning. Well, I must, earlier. yeah, yeah it's, uh, I, I find it energizing to get you on the phone. I'm always looking forward to our conversation. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anything, any good scoop in the city? Well, um, I, I think the, the, the uh, new city manager is, um, is uh, doing a good job. He's only started, he's, he's been in meetings uh pretty much from morning till night, getting to learn the community and uh, meet and meet a lot of the people. He's uh, certainly met with his staff and they're going to make some uh, make some needed changes. Um, and uh, the uh, the morale seems to be a little better down there. That's great. Um, they had three meetings last week. Um, uh, and I think they're trying to get caught up before they uh, take their summer break. Um and uh, that that that's the goal anyway. And um, I think, it, you know, I think things are looking a little better. Um, of course, they still have some some major issues that they have to deal with the uh, 
those outfall pipes um, that they, you know, we started working on, and uh, then they got involved um, on the beach, and um, now we find that there's, uh, they're planning to put up uh, a generator uh, on one of the beach ends um, and and fix the uh, street where the pipe is and everything else, and now the residents are absolutely up in arms, mm. and uh, so they've got that project on hold so they can figure out what to do. And, um, uh, of course, we get blamed. You know, prior councils get blamed <laughs> for not seeing this. I mean, it never fails. Uh, it was funny. I, I just don't remember when I was mayor, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't ever remember being mayor uh, as mayor when we had an issue that happened with a prior council of pointing the finger and saying, well, if they had done this, because you could go back 50 years if you wanted to. You know what I mean? Of course. Um, and so I don't pay much attention to, to when they do that. Um, but um, other than that, uh, 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 everything is uh, seems to be relatively quiet. Uh, certainly traffic certainly has dissipated. It has indeed. I wanted to ask you about uh, have we settled with the police department uh, in terms of the union and yes. Uh, pay? Yes. Um, yeah, they got their contract and... Um, they uh, they seem to be very pleased with it, um, and I'm I'm happy for them. Now maybe we can start recruiting and getting some you know, build build back up to uh, to where we were, uh, and not have the officers leaving to go to uh, to other parts of the state or as close as Fort Myers to get jobs. So I think that that that's uh, that's a good thing. It took a long time to do, but um, uh, got done. So that, that's a good thing. Yeah, you know. Um, I think the only other thing that, that needs to be talked about a little bit, I think, is with the fire department pensions. But it's not a huge deal. But um, they need to make some adjustments there, I guess. Yeah, seems to me uh, you can't make everybody happy, and of course, uh, we, you'd love to have everybody smiling and say, "Hey, great decision!" and really support you on this. Just not. Has, I mean, the, it seems to me the approach would be: Look, you know, we, we're going to make a decision here. Here are the principles upon which we want to base the decision, which is you know the things that we think are most important. Uh, we're going to make a decision. It's not going to make everybody happy. We apologize for that, but we want you to know that we want to know where you stand, what your point of view is, and. And uh, you may not like what you hear, but at least you'll understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Right, exactly. But uh, and and they did work out. A, you know, they they did a lot of negotiating, and there was some definite give and take there. But uh, I think they're they're happy and um, or pleased. Let's put it that way. And I think we can move on now uh, without dealing that. They have a I think it was a three year contract. They got um, they got a good size raise and. Uh, Bring them back to where they should be. So Excellent. that's a good thing. Hey, I got a, I got um, one quick thing to tell you. You know how you and I talk about some scams sometime? I found a new one for us, okay? So, you know, we travel, and uh, when we had the pets, um, we uh, always traveled with our pets, and we stayed at pet-friendly um, hotels um, And since it became a rage because people realized that, hey, keeping pets out uh, costs us a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So the other night I was I was just thumbing through because um, we're going to go a little further this year when we drive up um, because uh, we don't have any any dogs anymore. We just have our cats. So make a long story short, I'm looking at pet friendly hotels and I found one that I liked and it was a little further up the road. And I look 
Okay, because pet friendly is pet friendly, right? Yep. So they advertise they're pet friendly, and then when you go on the site, Bob, it says service dogs only or service animals only. Huh. Uh, I think that's a little misleading, and I will write about it, but I figured I'd tell Bob Hardy. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Well, you can, can't you have a service cat? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I suppose. Uh, it would be a, yeah, but but the you know the thing is that it, it really fools people because you know you if you're used to doing that and you say oh look here's a here's a pet friendly hotel in, in an area that we we want to stay in and you just assume you don't have to really look okay it says it's advertised that way and then all of a sudden if you hadn't really checked on it and you get there and you say well I have my thirty pound Irish Setter with me and they say well. If it's not a service dog, um, you can't. We're not taking it, oh. and it causes a lot, a lot of hassle when after you've been driving all day. You know what I mean? Oh, I certainly do, Bill. Especially when you're out of touch, don't have your computer with you, and you can't find something uh, like that. Hey, before I let you go, um, yeah. Any comments at all on national news? Yeah, you know, Bob. I I don't know. I I just um, between. Um, uh, the U- Ukraine and uh, the latest shooting. I mean, you know, a week ago we were talking about Buffalo, you know, and which we of course have ties to, and and the people there, and and the grief and whatever. And now it's the uh, Uvalde um, school and and those kids uh, uh, just massacred like that. I mean, the, what is the answer? Maybe next week we'll we'll, we'll talk about. You know, it's going to be about guns again, of course, and assault rifles especially. And I have a couple of opinions on that. I'm sure you do too. So let's put that on the put that on the calendar for next week. All right. Bill Barnett again, former mayor of Naples. Just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Bill. Bob, you have a great and have a wonderful Memorial Day. You as well. Thank you so much, Bill. Well that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some terrific guests lined up for tomorrow, including our US representative Byron Donalds will be joining us so much to discuss with uh Byron about what's happening around the United States and legislation. We'll also visit with uh, By- uh, William Yateman. William is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll look forward to uh, getting his thoughts on what's happening on Capitol Hill. Larry Bell is an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books. And we'll be talking about one of his columns from Newsmax. He writes his uh, Newsmax.com column, On Point. And Esther Lully is the executive director of the uh, uh, Collier uh, Senior Resource Center, and uh, we'll visit with the Senior Center in uh, Golden Gate. We'll look forward to visiting with uh, Esther Lully as well. Uh, lots of great things going on there uh, for seniors. Uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends. It's a good thing not only for the show, but also for our advertisers who we so much appreciate supporting the show. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.